And that's where I, I get excited about scalable learning is I talk about how technology can restore our humanity. It makes us human again. It makes us do work that we as humans are uniquely designed to do. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next-level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we learn from John Hagel. John has been a leading Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur, management consultant, author, and speaker for over 40 years. After working in senior positions at companies including McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, and Atari, he founded Deloitte's Center for the Edge, which he led for many years. John is on the board of trustees of the Santa Fe Institute, his faculty for Singularity University. It has won multiple Harvard Business Review awards for best articles amongst many other accolades. He is the author of seven excellent books, most recently, The Journey Beyond Fear. You can find more on John's work at johnhagel.com, J-O-H-N-H-A-G-E-L, and on all of the major social platforms on Twitter at, at jhagel. Uh, I've always been a massive fan of uh, John's work, and uh, so please stand by. It's a really inspiring episode. John, it's an honor and delight to have you on the show. A pleasure to be here, absolutely. So I've been a big fan of your work back since the 90s, <laughs> and uh, you've always been a head of uh, change uh, since that time. So love to ask you that question. So in a world where we need to amplify our cognition, what, how do we do that? What, where should we start? Oh, boy. Well, there are many different... Uh, areas to explore in that in that context but uh one of the key themes in my recent work at least has been the notion that to really amplify cognition um we need to expand our horizons and focus on our emotions not just on mental models and frameworks and approaches that we can use in our minds but looking into our hearts and saying what are the emotions that are driving us because I, as I, I, my most recent book is The Journey Beyond Fear. And I started writing it because I was traveling around the world and everywhere I went, the dominant emotion that I was encountering was fear at the highest levels of organizations, lowest levels out in the communities. And while I think fear is an understandable emotion, if you're focused on cognition, it, it is a limiting emotion. 
And what we need to do is, first of all, acknowledge the fear, because many of us don't even want to admit that we have fear, but then find ways to cultivate emotions that will help us to move beyond the fear and really learn faster and and uh, expand our horizons much more rapidly. So I'd love to dig into that journey first, but perhaps looking at that. So fear is a limiting our ability to think effectively, not surprisingly. <laughs> so what is the opposite of that? What is the emotional frame of mind which is which enables us to think at our best? Well, based on the research, I mean, I I was looking at environments where I saw sustained extreme performance improvement over time and said, what can we learn from those environments? And there were very diverse environments, everything from the world of business to extreme sports to online war games, but extreme performance improvement, common element in all of those environments that I found when there was extreme performance improvement was a very specific form of passion. I use the word somewhat reluctantly because everybody has a different definition of passion, <laughs> um, but we all use the same word. I'm talking about a specific form of passion that I, I call the passion of the explorer. And, and again, it's based on the research and looking at what these participants were feeling. And the passion of the explorer starts with excitement about having more and more impact in a specific domain. You're not only wanting to have impact, you're excited about having the impact. And then secondly, it's a notion of being excited when you're confronted with unexpected challenges. Most people, you know, unexpected challenge, that's kind of scary. No, these people with passion are excited because it's an opportunity to have even more impact. And then finally, the other th third element of this passion of the explorer is these people when confronted with these challenges, their first reaction is, who else can I connect with who can help me get to a better answer faster? Because no matter how smart or talented I am, I know I'm going to come up with better answers if I have other people helping me. So they're constantly reaching out. And I think one of the interesting things about the people with this passion is they, um, they form deep levels of trust because they're expressing vulnerability. They're saying, I don't know. I need help. And that builds trust. And, and then the excitement about coming up with answers to questions, you know, that it motivates people to come and help them. So anyway, I think this passion of the explorer is uh, a very powerful engine to really drive cognition and learning. Well, it's certainly something you manifest yourself, John. <laughs> So just I'd like to dig into a little that third point, I think, which is so, so important that part of the passion of the explorer leads you to reach out to others. And so this obviously harks to the idea of open innovation, you know, whether you're an individual or organization, you can never have all the answers for yourself. So can you dig in a little bit more? What, what, what does that look like? Or how do people shift their inclination to, to look to others for parts of the answer or answers or insights or whatever they can uh, be useful for them. Well, again, part of it is overcoming fear because one of the consequences of fear is you lose trust in others. I can't ask for help. I, I can't be dependent on anyone else. I have to do it all myself. So it's very isolating versus, again, if you're really excited about 
having more impact. You want to do whatever is necessary to get that impact. And asking for help is a key way to accelerate your impact and increase your impact. So people are very motivated. They're they're wanting help. They're not just reluctant to ask for help. They're desperate for help. So in your book, The Journey Beyond Fear, the you know, the third section of that is all about learning platforms. So how do those fit into that picture of <laughs> how it is we can reach out or learn together? Well, again, my challenge is that I use terms that everybody uses. So everybody talks about platforms. We're in a platform economy, a platform world. Platforms ru- rule the world. Um, I'm talking about a very specific form of platform that I do not believe yet exists, but needs to exist and could exist. And it's, again, what I call learning platform. But here, again, I have to clarify, because when I talk about learning platforms, most people say, oh, you're talking about Udemy or these online video courses, you know, platforms that you can access all these courses on. That's learning in the form of sharing existing knowledge. And while I don't want to dismiss that, I think that's certainly helpful and valuable. The most powerful and necessary form of learning in a rapidly changing world is learning in the form of creating entirely new knowledge that never existed before. And so I believe the opportunity is to create platforms where the primary design goal, not just a a side effect, the primary design goal is to help all the participants to come together and learn faster in the form of creating new knowledge through action. It's not just conversation. Again, I think if you're really talking about learning and creating new knowledge, you can start with a conversation, but until and unless you act on the insights and ideas and see the results and learn from the results, you're not gonna learn. And so the platforms that I'm talking about create um, Again, I I don't know how much detail to go into here, but a core notion for me of of this form of learning is that you learn faster if you come together in small groups. I call them impact groups, but typically it's between 3 to 15 people, not more than 15, because you need to form deep trust-based relationships with each other. And so these learning platforms would create shared workspaces where these small groups could come together on a long-term basis to learn together through action. They're constantly focused on what action can we take? What impact are we trying to achieve? Have we achieved the impact? What can we learn from that impact? And a key element here is rapid real-time feedback loops to the impact groups saying, here's the impact you achieved so they can learn much more rapidly based on what they actually achieved. So you say that that you you don't see that exist. Is there anything which is close or in the direction or things which are, you know, pushing towards that that are uh, reference points? Yeah, I mean, there there are pieces to the puzzle. I mean, um, I one of the, the interesting examples that I go back to is a it was uh, back in the late 1990s, um, a, a startup called Portal Player that wanted to um, uh, um, design uh, digital music devices as mass market products. At the time, that was ridiculous. It was much too expensive. The 
products would be too big. Um, the music quality would be pretty bad. The battery life short. And what they did was they created a platform where they invited technology leaders from around the world to come together and address these challenges in terms of performance improvement. And long story short, over the course of about two or three years, dramatic improvement, innovation in the uh, various technologies required for digital music players. And the Portal Player platform ended up being the, the core platform for uh, Apple's iPod. When Apple introduced the iPod, it was a Portal Player technology platform within the Apple uh, skin. So I think it was an interesting example of a platform that was specifically focused on learning in the form of creating new knowledge together with others. An example, which is not quite quite the same, but uh, I think is really instructive, is uh, Top Coder, where so crowdsourced uh, software development, and so it's a real lovely example of peer learning, where Top Coder is not dozens in the place, so for each piece of code you get a few coders, and then the ones who didn't win are able to see what the the winner did and how they developed their code, and so they are learning from each other as they're on the edge of uh, you know, creating the best possible software with NASA and so on as clients. So, you know, the peer learning, you know, that's that's where all learning happens on the edge edge of change. And that's where, you know, in the connected world it's been so wonderful where all of the people on the edge of any field are able to uh, bounce off ideas and learn from each other at as they create that knowledge. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's an interesting kind of balance because, again, it's based on research that I've done, but there's on the one side this emphasis on forming small groups with deep trust-based relationships with each other, but then there's the notion of serendipity, unexpected encounters with other people outside your impact group who can come up with new ideas and help you to think beyond the the frameworks that you, you already have. And so platforms, the learning platforms I'm talking about, combine that, you know, focus on uh, the impact groups, but then connecting impact groups and participants in much broader ways where they can unexpectedly encounter somebody that they never knew who has a great idea. Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So let's, let's come back to the... You know the the fear and shifting to the shifting to the passion of the explorer. So, you know, I think uh, you know, people really have to read your book that you be on fear to uh, to get the full story. But in a, in a compact version, all right, where people are in a place of fear, there's the potential uh, which which limits their thinking, their ability to think better, act better, uh, and the potential is to get to the passion of the explorer, where they are soaking in anything which is useful to them to be able to, you know, guide, you know, shape their, their path. So what's the journey? How, <laughs> how does one get from a place of fear to the passion of the explorer? 
in three words or less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to say if I could summarize my book, I wouldn't have to write the book. It would just be my summary. Yes. Um, no, I, I think it's it's complicated. There are many different paths that it, for the journey, and it's all based on where you come from as an individual. But a key element, again, this is based on research that I've been doing, is focusing initially on what I call your narrative. And again, it's complicated because when I talk about narrative, most people think I'm talking about stories. Stories and narratives, same thing. No, I make the distinction that stories are self-contained. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end to them. The end, it's over. And the story is about me, the storyteller, or it's about some other people, real or imagined. It's not about you. In contrast, a narrative, the way I define it, is open-ended. It's about the future, and the, the issue is there's a, either a threat, a big threat, or a big opportunity in the future, not clear whether it's going to be achieved or not, and the resolution of the narrative hinges on you. It's a call to action to say your choices, your actions are going to help determine how this narrative plays out. And so, and again, it's complicated. You have to read the book, but um, I talk about narratives at many different levels. I start with the individual personal narrative and urging people to reflect, what's your view of the future? Is it primarily a threat or an opportunity? And do you have a call to action to others? Or is it all just on your shoulders and you have to figure it out and you'll figure it out? Um, in my experience, more and more people, when they do that, very few have art, art, even articulated their narrative, much less reflected on it. But most people, when they, they start to think about it, say, oh, my God, I, the future for me is, is pretty threatening. And I'm not asking for a lot of help because I can't rely on other people. So it starts with this notion of individual narratives. But then I think you can talk about corporate or organizational narratives. You can talk about regional or geographic narratives or movement narratives. And I'll just give one quick example back to this notion of passion. Um, I've been in Silicon Valley now for over 40 years. And I always get the question, well, how do you explain the continued success of Silicon Valley over so many decades? And most people would talk about the universities, talk about the venture capital firms, the infrastructure. And those are certainly not <laughs> to be dismissed. But to me, the real success of Silicon Valley has to do with a very inspiring geographic narrative, which is we've had digital technology that is exponentially improving, can fundamentally change the world for the better, but it's not going to happen automatically. You need to come to Silicon Valley and help change the world. And it's an inspiring, exciting opportunity that has drawn people from all over the world. I mean, most people don't know that the majority of successful entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley were not born in the United States, much less in Silicon Valley. They were drawn here from all over the world because of this excitement of an opportunity. And it drew out this passion of the explorer. They wanted to find ways to harness this exponential technology and really change the world. Yeah, well, it's uh, if you hang out from San Francisco, you very much, um, you know, get the feeling there's lots of people who have drunk the Kool-Aid, uh, which actually I think came from the Bay Area. The concept as well came from the Bay Area itself. <laughs> and 
and it's you start to start to believe, you know get inspired as well by that uh, as you say that narrative and that belief of the possibilities unlimited possibilities yeah and and again i think one of the challenges we have in the world today is more and more we're being uh, dominated by threat-based narratives you know all the, the movements that we talk about climate change the world's coming to an end we're all going to die it's all about the threat in the future and i don't want to dismiss that again there, there are threats but on the other side until and unless we can frame an exciting and inspiring opportunity what would the world look like if we really address climate change what kind of flourishing world could we create where we would all thrive not just humans but plants animals everything would thrive what would that look like that would excite and inspire people versus oh i'm gonna die <laughs> i got it's too overwhelming i give up you know it's uh I don't know. So anyway, I think that we need to be very thoughtful about what narratives are driving our action today, and are they focused on threat in the future or opportunity in the future? And, and actually, just as you were talking, I was thinking, in fact, there is also a distinction between limited opportunity and unlimited opportunity. So seeing opportunity is one part. You can say, oh, I can see an opportunity to do this. <laughs> but that's, not, that's still tangible as opposed to the unlimited opportunity, which is, well, and where could we go beyond that? Well, it's both the unlimited opportunity in the sense of continued expansion of, of opportunity, but it's also this notion of win-win uh, opportunities. I mean, if it's just an opportunity for me or my small group, you know, it's going to put me in competition with others so that we can capture that opportunity for ourselves Versus this is an opportunity where the more people who join in, the bigger the opportunity is going to become. This is exciting. Let's all come together. So what are you doing now to on your mission to, to get these ideas more broadly through society? <laughs> well, it's uh, certainly, I've, I'm very passionate about it. So I'm uh, excited about the opportunity. I, my goal is to actually create a new center um, that will offer programs based on the book, The Journey Beyond Fear, programs to help people make that journey, not just read the book, but actually come together and work together to cultivate emotions that will help them to achieve much greater impact and ultimately create learning platforms as well where they can exponentially improve their their impact. So we should keep posted for that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, certainly if anyone's interested, I, I have my website, johnhagel.com, and I'm inviting people who have interest to sign up and, you know, I'll keep people posted on the the uh, center. It's not yet been formed. I'm looking, I'm about to look for funding for it. And my goal is to launch before the end of the year. Fabulous. So so the other, one of the other things which I've loved uh, about your work and off, very often references that idea of scalable learning. And, you know, this where, you know, to, well, sort of, you, you always talk about the shift from scalable efficiency. That used to be what drove the, the old industrial companies. You get you know, be efficient at scale. Now the imperative is to scale your learning, both for individuals and organizations. So particularly in the context of a world where AI has 
risen. And you know, and I frame this as humans plus AI, where we have individuals a complement of AI is supported, being able to act better, to achieve more. And organizations, of course, have wonderful people and AI, and those will be shifting and changing them. And you know that landscape will be changing. The AI will be developing. AI, people will be developing more capabilities. Organizations will be evolving. So, what's so? Let's say an organization says, "Yes, we believe in scalable learning." How how do they go about that? What's what is what does that look like in practice? Well, it has many different dimensions to it, and ultimately, I think it leads to transformation of the entire organization. But I, I urge starting with the notion of, first of all, recognizing that most, if not all, large organizations around the world today are still driven by scalable efficiency, the model of scalable efficiency. And the way that has been implemented is to tightly specify every task that needs to be done in the organization highly standardize those tasks so they're done in the same efficient way throughout the organization. Um, and uh, I think that the interesting thing to me is that if you really recognize that's the way work has been defined, that work is much more efficiently done by machines. And uh, the unfortunate situation I get when I talk with leaders about artificial intelligence and, and AI um, and automation is the two questions I get is how quickly can I automate and how many jobs can I eliminate? Those are the only two questions they have. I believe if we're really focused on the opportunity of scalable learning, the excitement should be if I can free up all the people who today are doing these mindless tasks, you know, routine tasks, tightly specified. Um, now I can focus those people on a different form of work. And I describe it as addressing unseen problems and opportunities to create more value. Wherever you are in the organization, you could be a janitor in a facility, you could be a maintenance worker, wherever you are, what are those unseen problems and opportunities to create more value? And now that you've been freed up from all those mindless tasks that automation and AI is, is now helping with, focus on that. And you can harness AI to help you, you know, analyze and address the, the environments that, uh, where those opportunities are. But I think that's the potential to really drive scalable learning where you're focusing everybody in the organization. And again, it, I, I worry because when I talk about scalable learning, most leaders will say, oh, we have training programs. We do scalable learning. Anybody can sign up for a training program. Great. No, that's, again, sharing existing knowledge. And again, not to dismiss it, but the real value in scalable learning is learning in the form of creating new knowledge by addressing unseen problems and opportunities, problems and opportunities that were never seen before and need some kind of new knowledge in order to create the value. And that's where I, I get excited about scalable learning is the opportunity to, I, I talk about how technology can restore our humanity. It makes us human again. It makes us 
that do work that we as humans are uniquely designed to do. For, for, for a long time, I've been talking about the shift to fluid organizations where, you know, the currently you've got a lot of people in boxes, uh, job descriptions, you sort of have a box and you put somebody in it, which means as soon as you've done that, either it can be readily outsourced or automated. So, you know, you're, you're not, you know, you're tapping a fraction of the potential of the person. But if we, so there is still a question is how far can you push that in terms of creating a completely fluid organization where everybody you know does what they think is the best thing to do and we have a nice some nice examples of uh you know some you know wi gore or um uh morning star or so on a few ones which are you know, m- you know the so-called manager list organizations but I, there, there is this loose tight thing. Tight is very efficient, very structured, very process. Loose is anybody does whatever whatever they think is right. So is is there a balance? Is there a journey? Can we achieve that completely loose, uh, as it were, organization? No. Again, I think everything in life is ultimately a, a, a question of balance. And here, for me, the balance is on the one side, the initiative of each individual worker. Uh, and in small work groups, again, I think coming together into small groups in the workforce um, can really accelerate the learning. But it's on the other side, from the leadership side, it's p- having leaders who can ask really inspiring questions. Today, the, the mark of a strong leader is somebody who has the answer to all the questions. No matter what the question, you can count on the leader to have an answer. I believe in these organizations we're talking about, the mark of a strong leader is the one who has the most inspiring questions, who would say, imagine what we could accomplish if we could answer this question, and I need help. I don't have an answer. (laughs) And they're expressing vulnerability and starting helping to create a culture where asking for help is not only okay, but necessary. And it's the notion of Again, helping to focus initiative within the organization because you're getting people excited about these high-level questions and figuring out how, wherever they are in the organization, they can help come up with answers and and achieve more impact. Again, I know it's hard, but I mean, are are there any leaders or organizations which show some inklings of of, uh, what you describe? Unfortunately, uh, you know, there, there are a lot in in Silicon Valley in the small entrepreneurial uh, companies. But, you know, one of the tragedies I see in in Silicon Valley is um, as startups gain scale and start to grow larger, um, the investors start to ask for um, adult supervision of the organization. And what they mean by that is let's bring in some experienced managers who can help dictate what needs to be done when and the routine tasks and all the rest. And you lose that culture of asking really exciting questions and motivating people to come together to answer the questions. So which comes back to, in a way, that earlier question saying, to, to what degree do you, for a, say a large organization, five, 10,000 people plus, you know, how, to what degree do you need bureaucracy and structure and governance and and so on it's more about in my mind focus helping to focus people on common objectives and so the questions help to do that 
and then specifying how would we measure the the results of the answers you know what would mark make a good answer in terms of the impact that we would achieve and then being very rigorous about feedback loops to help people see what impact is being achieved and learning from that and encouraging them to find even better ways to get even more impact and so it's it's the performance metrics and the feedback loops that become, I think, a, again, a focusing device to help people really stay focused on the important questions. It's back back since the nineties, and I suspect similar to you that I, you know, we kind of expected organizational transformation, you know, in a decade, and and and. Um, and we have to recognize how far organizations have come in terms of since you know the last one, two, three decades. They, you know, the organizations are very, very different than they used to be, but they're still really pretty yeah. similar, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, so we can hope that let's say in the next, you know, the re- remainder of this decade, even we start to see extremely different organizations from what we've had in the past. Do you do you think that's feasible, possible? I'm an optimist by nature. I believe it's not only possible, but essential and and will be achieved. You know, I have to say, I mean, I'm I'm also a bit of a cynic. Uh, In in the business world today, one of the buzzwords that has become widespread is uh, digital transformation. We all have to engage in digital transformation. And I guarantee virtually every large organization that I'm aware of has a digital transformation program. But when I probe into that digital transformation program, basically it's how do we apply digital technology to do what we've always done faster and cheaper, scalable efficiency. To me, I use the metaphor of the butterfly and the caterpillar. If you're just making the caterpillar walk faster, that's fine for the caterpillar, but please don't call it transformation. Until it becomes something that's unrecognizable, a butterfly, it is not transformation. And I believe, again, if we're serious about scalable learning, we really need to transform everything, how we do our work, how we organize, how we operate. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty basic. I love it. I, I got to use that, that caterpillar story, if you don't mind. <laughs> So any any last words of advice or que- you know questions or things to um, you know invite people to do what you know how what's the your final words of wisdom in this uh, brief but delightful uh, conversation well you know I, there are many different avenues to be to be explored but i you know i I recently did a blog post where i talked about fundamental shift in leadership models from expert to explorer and i believe the leaders of today and and everybody in the organization the key to success is demonstrating your expertise what do you know what have you accomplished that's your expertise you are now an expert it's all about the past versus the explorer, which is all about the future. It's all about saying there's so much more to be accomplished, so much more impact to be achieved. How do we learn to come together to achieve that impact? 
And I believe that we all need to adopt that explorer mindset where it's looking into the future, looking at opportunities, getting excited about the opportunities and being driven to have more and more impact by coming together. Again, it's not just me as an individual. It's me bringing other people together because no matter how smart or how much expertise I have, I'm going to have a lot more impact if I'm working with others. That's fantastic. So uh, we'll share in the show notes, uh, of course, with links to all of your many books, most recently, The Journey for Fear. Uh, you mentioned johnhagel.com. Is there any other places people should go to find out, uh, learn about your work and uh, what you do? Well, I, you know, I've published a lot of research reports. They can just Google my name and research or whatever. But uh, also, I'm very active on social media. I do a lot of postings on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. So uh, people can follow me there and I keep people posted on some of my latest thinking and uh, ideas and questions. And Yeah, and you, have some, you, share, some, you share some wonderful stuff uh, of what you discover on those feeds. Uh, I always, uh, always find great stuff. So thank you so much, uh, John, for your time and your insights. I, your work is, is, is so important. I really, it's so aligned with what I, what I believe in. So I really hope that uh, your vision is something we, uh, that we'll, we will make happen in these coming years there's unlimited possibility no question that's the excitement and i very much uh, see an alignment between uh, your work and mine and glad we were able to connect on this for sure thanks so much john thank you thank you for listening to the show if you really want to amplify your cognition go to amplifyingcognition.com where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.